0: Hello everybody and welcome to the seventh episode of the Inkwell Gamers podcast. If you're catching us now, we are on the sixth episode of our set review. We have already done Amber, Amethyst, Emerald, Ruby, and Sapphire. Today is Steel. My name is Dalton and along with me is my co-host. I'm Dana. Welcome Dana. How are you today? I
1: am good. Yeah, I'm good.
0: All right. So, basically what we're going to do, Dana's going to go over how what the main mechanics in steel are and its identity, what their strengths and weaknesses are. She's also going to go over the grading scale that we have used for the past 5 episodes and the one that we're going to use for this episode. So, take it away, Dana.
1: All right. So, <laughs> If you've been catching us on any of our previous episodes, you know that typically our roles for how we're starting this kind of set review are reversed. Dalton wanted to switch it up on me last minute, which I do not like, but here we are. So (laughs) basically for steel, the pros of this color, you have a board controlling color that stops early aggression, and it is also really good at dealing with a lot of smaller enemies Now on the flip side of that, it's weaknesses are that it's bad at banishing a single big threat and it doesn't really have a lot of card draw. So you'll see that as we kind of go through each of these cards. Before we get into that, let me just go through how we have been grading these thus far. We have a scale in which S is the best, D is the worst. So S is something that you can't imagine cutting a quantity of four at in your deck. So it is a very high power level. An example of this would be Rapunzel, going down to our next one of A. This is one of the best cards in the color. It has a high power level, like Maximus Palace Horse. It will be played in most decks, but there might be a few decks that might not want it, or at least might not want all four of that quantity depending on the strategy that deck's trying to play. It could also be the best card that causes you to kind of build around it, like Stitch Rockstar. So moving on to the one below it, we have a B. These are very solid role players. You could have a quantity of four in a lot of your decks due to just its ink and its stats, but it might not necessarily be a high power. So you could have something that also would be a higher power level character but maybe expensive or it's not inkable. So it would be hard to have a quantity of four of it and you might play it in some archetypes but not others. Moving on we have a grade of a C. This is including cards that take a very specific deck to make playable. It could have niche applications but most likely you're not going to have the full quantity of it and it might not be super playable. Lastly, we have D. This is mostly unplayable. Um, So cards that as of right now, we don't really see any application for and we wouldn't even want to splash our deck with any of them.
0: Well said, Dana. Well said. So let's go ahead and get into the very first card in the steel color. And that is Aladdin Cornered Swordsman. Dana, Tell us what you think about our very first steel card.
1: So this is a two drop inkable, a two one and quest for two. I have him graded as a B. I think he's a pretty decent two drop. He is squishy in that he only has a willpower of one, but you can quest for two with him, which makes me bring him up from like a C to a B.
0: Yeah, I have him as a B B two, but... Think I've given other cards of this uh, of his like uh, C, so I'm gonna break it down to C for consistency basis. If you have Aladdin, heroic outlaw in your deck, he's probably a little bit better than that as well.
1: Yeah, that's true. I think it definitely depends on whether you're gonna play him with the other Aladdins in in Ruby.
0: Yeah. So the next card we have is Beast, the hard-headed. He is a five cost inkable character with stats of four four that quest for two when you play this character you may banish chosen item i have this one as a c i don't think you're gonna play a lot of this card in most decks because the stats aren't super great but there are definitely some applications that you will want to play this card you'll probably want to play one or two of in your deck and there's no real downside because he's inkable
1: yeah that's true i haven't on the fence between a, a B and a C. I think for his stats, he might be a little expensive. I could see you justifying it because he can quest for two and as a four, he just seems kind of solid. So you could argue that he's worth his cost. His ability right now, I don't think is going to be super applicable all the time, which is why I have him teetering between a C. I think as time goes on, and we start to see the meta playing, maybe some people doing like an item deck, he would be better. But as of right now, I don't think he is enough for me to say like that he's all around solid.
0: Yeah, the the better the items are the better beast will be. And if we give a a sideboard for competitive play, he will definitely out least fit in there.
1: Right. All right. So moving on is the first of three Captain Hooks we're getting ready to talk about. The first one is Captain Hook, Captain of the Jolly Roger. He is a uninkable four drop, a three, four, quests for one, but he has the ability double the powder. When you play this character, you may return an action card named Fire the Cannons from your discard to your hand. Where are you putting him?
0: I gave him a B. I think he's a really solid card to have early when Fire the Cannons is actually relevant because as the game drags on, Fire the Cannons becomes a little bit worse because it doesn't scale with your opponent's board that well. But using one copy in the early turns and then getting it back around turn four or turn five and then using Fire the Cannons could be pretty, pretty good then. But there's not a lot of upside to this card.
1: Yeah, I gave him a like an A B. I think if not for his ability that specifically uses an action that currently is really good for this color, and you're probably going to play in this colored deck, he would be more of, Like a B, but they just so happen to use an action that you're gonna probably have in this color anyway. So I think he's I think he's pretty solid and that's yeah, that's where I kinda put him there.
0: Yeah, Fire of the Cannons is definitely a good card. I just don't know how many captain hooks you'll want your deck to go along with them. If it's all four, then he's definitely an A. A tier card.
1: Yeah. All right. So next one is our second Captain Hook, Forceful Duelist. He is a one drop inkable, a one two, quests for one, and has the Challenger plus two ability. So one, he's challenging, he gets a plus two. Where do you put him, Dalton?
0: I, I'm a little bit higher on this one. I gave this one an A. It could definitely be a B because that's where most of the cards in this range kind of go. But this one can actually trade up with a lot of your opponent's three cost characters. And I think that's really important because that just means it scales better into the mid to late game than what most of your cards do Mm -hmm. that are one cost. So I gave this one an A. You'll probably play it in, in most steel decks. I would imagine.
1: Yeah. I give him a B. I just think he's a nice average one drop. I can see making him an A just because you can use him to shift into the next Captain Hook that we are going to talk about right now. So Captain Hook, thinking a happy thought, is a five drop uninkable. He's a two five. You can shift him for three though and he has the challenger ability where he gets plus three. So when he's challenging, he's actually a five, five. He does only quest for one, but I actually kind of like his other ability, which is stolen dust. Characters with a cost three or less can't challenge this character. I like it because you are basically forcing your opponent, if they want to get rid of them, you're forcing them to use a bigger character that they might not want to trade for because typically when you see a card that has this amount of strength or higher they have the option to okay use a big a big character of theirs or just use a couple of small ones they don't, that they don't really care to lose but here you're basically saying you can't you can't double up some small ones you got to use a big boy to get rid of me so i think that with that i put them between like an ab
0: yeah i there's a little bit of tension between his challenger ability and his stolen dust ability the one you're just talking about because challenger means that he's really good at challenging but mm-hmm. not good at being being challenged so while this can very easily take out one of your opponents uh, you know multiple of your opponents cheaper characters probably it is also just probably going to get banished by whatever four or five drop that your opponent plays and not banish it back. So there's a little bit of tension there, but honestly, I still think it is a really good card. If you have this in play on turn three, you're probably ahead on board. I give this one an A as well. I think that the upside is just way more positive than the downside. So yeah, I'm kind of on board with you.
1: Okay, moving on, we have Cerberus, three-headed dog. He is a five-drop inkable, a five-six, quest for one, no special abilities. I gave him a B. I think he's a nice big boy, nothing special because it's not like he's questing for multiple lore. He doesn't have any abilities. So maybe I was being a little generous. I'm surprised they didn't give him bodyguard. I feel like he would be the type of character that would have bodyguard.
0: He is Hades, one of Hades bodyguards essentially, right? Yeah, right. So you'd
1: think that they would have given him that. I think if they were to have given him that, then he would be a solid B, if not maybe teetering towards an A. Mm -hmm. But as of right now, I think he's just a B, maybe a C? I don't know. What do you have on that?
0: He's somewhere between B and C, I think. This is a character with a really good body on it. It's going to trade with everything its size and survive its cost and survive mostly. Mm-hmm. And obviously going to survive everything that's cheaper than it. So I think, I think this one actually is pretty well statted for its cost. So I I agree. It's somewhere between the B and C. You probably don't want to play too many of them, but you know, if the format's right and five, six is a good stat line, then you're, you're all set. Yeah. So the next card we have is Donald Duck Musketeer. It is a Four cost inkable character that is a 2-5 and a quest for one has two abilities. The first one is bodyguard, so that's pretty good. And the second one is Stay Alert. During your turn, your Musketeer characters gain evasive. So this is a pretty strong defensive card. Now the only issue is that there's not a whole lot of Musketeers Mm -hmm. in Lorcana yet. Maybe as sets grow, I know this is something we always say, but as sets grow, this card's just gonna get better. But I I gave it a C. I just don't know if its stats are there or if its two abilities really give it the power that you want it to.
1: Yeah, I gave him a B. I think if we were to take away his bodyguard ability, I would for sure jump him down to a C because all he would have left would be the fact that he would help musketeers. And like Dalton said, there aren't very many musketeers right now to have a musketeer deck. But I think the fact that he has the other ability of bodyguard, you can still utilize him if you don't have a musketeer deck right now. And so that's what's kind of keeping him at a B level for me.
0: Yeah, one of the things that we didn't talk about is that there will be a bodyguard deck with one of the items we'll talk about a little bit later. And this is a fairly good card to fit in that deck, so uh, it'll definitely be a player there. So, you know, maybe, maybe it could end up being a B eventually.
1: Okay, for sure. Moving on, we have Gantu, Galactic Federation Captain. He is a 8-drop inkable, a 6-6, quests for two and has the ability under arrest. Characters with a cost two or less can't challenge your characters. Where do you put him?
0: I gave him a C, could be a D. I think And there, there's just so many good and powerful expensive characters that I'm just not buying into this one. In fact, there's an eight cost character in this very color that i think is just an upgrade to him. So i'm i'm not going to play him unless there is an extremely important reason to. So i i'm just not about
1: it. I actually gave him a B. I think although he's expensive, he is a big boy quest for 2, but i'm more thinking of the stipulations of his ability. So similar to Captain Hook thinking a happy thought On the hook side, characters with a cost three or less can't challenge this character, whereas Gantu's verbiage is characters with a cost two or less can't challenge your characters. So I think it widens your board in the sense of your opponent has to use their bigger characters. They can't just use a bunch of smaller ones and it affects all of the ones on your board, not just him. So I think that makes him maybe a little bit better. Um, And that's why I I gave him a B.
0: There are definitely some strategies that that is going to play really well against like the Dr. Facilier strategies or the Mickey and the Broomstick strategies that that plays really well against. So I could definitely see it having some applications, but I still think that a card that we're going to talk about in in a few minutes is a little bit better. But I could see it being a B still. Mm -hmm. All right. So next we have goons, Maleficent's underlings. This is a one cost inkable character that is a two, two that quest for one. It is a B like every other one of these.
1: Yep. I got a B2 average, nothing special. Don't really have anything else to say about it. (laughs) Love
0: it. All right. So next we're going to just go right into Hans 13th in line it is a four-cost inkable character that's a 3-3, a quest for two, and it has the ability Stage a Little Accident. When this character quests, you may deal one damage to chosen character. Dana, how do you like this one?
1: I have them around an A, B. I think I would... Probably want four of him in my deck because not only does he quest for two, but he's not too expensive and he also deals damage when questing. So you get a two for one and are pretty productive during your turn.
0: Yeah. So this card lines, or I shouldn't say lines up, it combos well with all of the damage cards that are in steel, like grab your swords. It just makes it so those cards can deal with higher willpower characters and if you get two of these in play that is exceptionally strong as well just dealing two to whatever characters your opponent has that lets you deal with a lot of characters that you might not normally be able to deal with so i like hans a lot it's an okay size body a quest for two and the ping is really important It's very impactful.
1: Yeah. Okay. Moving on. We have Hercules true hero. He is a inkable three drop, a three, three quest for one, and he is a bodyguard. So you can enter him into play exerted and your opponent has to challenge him before they can challenge your other characters. I gave him a B. I think he's a nice solid three drop and I really like that bodyguard ability. So it can throw off the tempo of your opponent because they might have been playing planning on attacking one of your characters but now they can't so you can kind of quest with the other ones for free while making him be their bodyguard
0: yeah this is a this is a b level card i think as well i think bodyguard is really good on your cheaper characters and this can be a card that protects the hans that we were just talking about so you can get multiple quests out of it multiple pings with that one damage and it can just protect other characters you have as well so i'm a i'm Pretty into this card. It's it's going to be a solid role player for sure.
1: Yeah. All right. So next up we have Kristoff, official Ice Master, a three drop Inkable. What
0: a name, by the way, the Ice Master. I know,
1: right? And he quests for two. He doesn't have any ability, but I think he's just a solid three drop. I really don't have much more to say about him.
0: Yeah, I gave him a C. I think he's probably worse than Hercules. Not saying that you have to play one or the other, but I think in a generic sense, I'd rather just put Hercules in my deck, but so I, I gave a little bit lower of a grade.
1: Okay. Next we have Kronk, right hand man. He is a inkable six drop, a six six, and quests for two. Nothing again, nothing special about him. He's just a nice big body to either quest with and make your opponent choose what they're going to do to about him. Like, are they going to use one of their bigger characters? Are they going to have to double up two smaller characters? And so I I think he's just a a nice B for being a a big body.
0: Yeah, this is definitely a big body. Its quest for two is pretty threatening. And this... I just think that a 6-6 is pretty well-statted. It trades with Gontu if your opponent is doing that. If your opponent has Stitch Abomination, it trades favorably into that. I think just being a 6-6, that quest for two, it's going to have some good trades across a lot of the different colors. Even the, like the eight mana Elsa, it trades into that pretty well. So it, it might be a useful card. I can see giving it a B, but you know, I don't know how many you're going to play, but I can see it being played. Mm -hmm. So next we have Lilo Galactic Hero. It is a three cost inkable for two. That quest for two with no abilities, I gave this one a C. I... Again, would probably rather just play Hercules as my three drop of choice. It does quest for two, which is nice. But I mean, honestly, I'd probably rather play Kristoff over a two, which is a very similar card, but it has three toughness. So it's weird that they gave this color three, three cost characters that are very similar to each other, honestly. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the point of that was, but I think this is probably the worst one of the three.
1: So I gave it a B. But honestly, I gave it a B because I saw that strength of four and I was like, ooh, and the quest for two and ooh. But honestly, hearing you compare it to the other ones, I do realize now that it is not the best for the cards that are very similar to it. So I'll probably drop mine down from a B to a C at this point.
0: Yeah, this is the one of the three drops that trades for your opponents. 1-drop, 2-2, two, two, or 2-drop two characters, and you just don't want to be trading down in mana like that. Granted, this could also trade with a lot of willpower 4-drops, but you're going to quest for 2 with it a lot of the time, so that's the whole point of the card, I feel like. I don't know. I'm just not into it.
1: Fair enough. Okay, so next we have Maui Demigod. So this is a Inkable 8-drop. It's an 8-8. Eight, eight. Quests for three. Tell me about it.
0: Yeah, so this is the one I was comparing Gontu with, and I think this one is a little bit better just because it's bigger for one, and it quests for one more as well. This is a card that is not going to be easy to deal with for most decks. It's going to be hard to race when your opponent gets it into play. So I think it's it's a C or B level. Again, it's an eight cost card. You can't have too many of those in your deck, but it is is going to be a very impactful card when it gets in
1: play. Yeah. I was putting it more at a AB range. I know it's expensive, but I feel like just because of his ability to quest for three and he has a strength and willpower of eight each, he would be really hard to deal with if you don't have big characters in play or you don't have a removal action like Dragonfire. So it Hmm. might be difficult or annoying for your opponent to easily get rid of him. So that's why I think he could be more of an AB.
0: Yeah, like. I I could Definitely see a B. I just don't know how many of these you're gonna put in your in, in a lot of your decks, but it uh it's probably better than the C that I, I gave it initially. So next one we have Mickey Mouse Musketeer. It is a six cost inkable character that is a 2-7, it quests for two, it has the bodyguard ability, and it has all for one. Your other musketeers get plus one strength. I also gave this one a C. It it This one does not hit home for me either. It has a large behind, you might say, because it has seven willpower, a quest for two, it's defensive with the bodyguard ability, but it it doesn't really check enough marks for me to want to play in multiple decks or really any deck outside of a dedicated musketeer bodyguard deck
1: um i was more in the bc range i think he is a little too expensive but i do understand he has a lot going for him because he does have seven willpower can quest for two and has bodyguard his other ability for benefiting your musketeers might not be able to be applied right now because there just isn't a place for having a musketeer deck so that's why I have him leaning more towards C. But I think he has a lot of other things potentially going for him. So I was kind of generous and gave him a, that B-C range.
0: Yeah, I think once we have a critical mass of musketeers, he could be decent. But what I really want to see is some some cheap musketeers with him. So when you play them, they're able to... He's able to get more of an advantage of that plus one strength where you can really trade up with some characters. Then his rating will probably go up a little bit. But the next card we have is Prince Eric, dashing and brave. Dana, tell me,
1: what do you like about him? So he is... Besides
0: him being so dashing.
1: So (laughs) He is a two drop inkable, a one three, but has the challenger ability of plus two. So when he's challenging, he's actually a three three and he quests for one. Nothing special, but I think he could be playable. I give him a B, but maybe that was generous.
0: See, I, I think he's good. I gave him an A. Okay. I gave him an A. So to me, he's very similar to the two-cost Dr. Facilier. That thing challenges as a 2-4. This thing challenges as a 3-3. Pretty comparable. I think the difference is, is that if you just wanted to quest with this character then it's going to trade pretty evenly with a lot of 1 and 2 cost cards, where if you just wanted to quest with that Dr. Facilier, they can challenge it back with no real repercussions, right? Because it has zero, zero strength when they challenge it. So this one can trade with the two willpower characters evenly, and then it can also trade up when you want it to a little bit. So I like it. I think you'll play it in a lot of steel decks, but uh, it it could also just be a B, honestly.
1: Okay. So moving on to Simba, Future King. This is a inkable one drop, a one, two, quest for one, but then has the ability, guess what? When you play this character, you may draw a card, then choose and discard a card. I gave it a B. I think it's just a nice little one drop. I am a little curious as to what you think about the way that they worded that. I personally, I I think it's good because you could cycle out maybe having a bad card in your hand and then potentially drawing a better card. The way that it is worded to me I feel like I could see it going two ways so when you play this character you may draw a card then choose and discard a card so is that saying you can draw a card and then you have the option to not discard or do you have to discard if so, you
0: draw it so so if you draw a card you have to discard
1: a card okay
0: but okay. if you don't draw a card then you don't have to discard right. anything okay. so yeah it's a may there so you don't. If you really like your hand, you don't have to do it at all, but 99% of the time, and maybe honestly even 100, it will be correct to draw a card because seeing more cards and having better options, mm-hmm. no matter how good you think your hand is, seeing more cards is going to be better than seeing less. Right. So even if you have an insane hand and you draw a card off the top and it's good, Well, the chances are if it's really good, it'll probably replace one of the other cards in your hand. If it's bad, then at least you're not going to draw it next turn. I gave this one a B. It's a solid one cost character. I'll probably play it in, in most steel decks and especially steel decks that are looking for one card specifically to, you know, enact their game plan.
1: Right, right. Okay, so moving on to our next Simba, we have Simba Returned King. This is a 7 drop inkable 4-6 quest for 2, challenger 4, so it becomes an 8-6 when you're challenging, and then also has the ability of pounce. During your turn, this character gains evasive. Where do you have this one
0: I have this one as a C as well I think one of one of the issues with a lot of these expensive cards that are just stats is that there are expensive cards in other colors that just do a little bit more than that. Uh, Hades, for example, is a creature that comes into play and removes your opponent's creature. You have Aladdin, which costs the same, but can shift to be a little bit cheaper. And that is a lower swing of four points effectively. It will decrease your opponent's lore and give you more lore. I think every color has an option that's a little bit better than this. Uh, so I, I gave the it C, It's just not what I'm into.
1: So I gave it a B. I think I only gave it a B because it is the only card in this color that has the potential to gain ev- evasive during your turn. So it's a nice way to maybe deal with an evasive deck that you're playing against that you might not otherwise have anything to deal with those characters. So that's why I consider it to be maybe a little bit more valuable than what you had. But that's where I kind of ended up with that.
0: Yeah, I I can see that. But this is also the color with Smash and Fire the Can. So and we'll get to those in a few minutes. But uh, this has a better way of dealing with those evasive characters as well. Too that are cheaper.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: So the next card we have is our third Simba. It is the rightful heir. It is a five cost uninkable three five that quest for two. And during your turn, whenever this character banishes another character and a challenge, you gain one lore. Tell me, what do you think of this Simba?
1: So I gave him a B. I think although he is uninkable, I like the fact that he has the potential to gain lore when he's also in a challenge. Just because most cards, you have to make that decision. Do you want to challenge or do you want to gain lore? But if you challenge during your turn with him, then you're getting both. So you kind of... Get a two for one there.
0: Yeah, I gave him a C. His body is a little bit smaller than what I would like for his cost, but he does allow you to do things that not a lot of cards can do. Granted, we're going to talk about a card here soon that does this a little bit better, but I just think that it being uninkable really limits its ability to be played in a lot of decks. Mm-hmm. But the next card we're going to talk about is Starkey Hooks. Henchman. It is a five cost inkable character that is a five-four. It quests for one and has aye, aye. captain as its ability. And while you have a captain character in play, this gets plus one lore. Tell me what grade did you give the henchman?
1: So I gave him a B. I don't think he's bad on his own since he is a 5-4, but I think he would be really good in a deck with Hook. And if you... I know that we talked about Gantu, but Gantu also is technically a captain. Hmm. And so I feel like because we see Gantu being given the trait of captain... That means we're going to see other characters other than Captain Hook also get captain. So I think that it could potentially be utilized more in the future. Although right now, I don't think he's too bad.
0: Yeah, I gave him a D. (laughs) (laughs) I gave him a D. I just think there are going to be a lot better and more consistent five cost characters in whatever colors you're playing that I'm just not sold on this one. If they have other captains that are really strong and that maybe enable this a little bit better and more consistently, I could see it, but yeah, it just doesn't do enough on its face for me. So yeah, I, I gave it a D. I'm probably not gonna play it for the time being.
1: Okay, so our next one is Taka, Heartless. She is a six drop inkable, a five, five, quests for two, and then also has the ability Seek the Heart, During your turn, whenever this character banishes another character in a challenge, you gain two lore.
0: Yeah, this is good Simba. Mm
1: -hmm. So where did you grade her?
0: I gave her an A. Mm -hmm. She has pretty good stats for the mana cost. She quests for two by herself. And kind of the point that you made with Simba is that while you also want to gain lore, you might also want to challenge an opposing character. You get the best of both worlds here you get to remove an opposing character and still gain that lore it is good simba bad aladdin heroic outlaw but i think that card that's why that card's an ass yeah (laughs) it is inkable so you have the early game versatility there as well i really like the card it is i think one of the better reasons to play steel
1: Yeah. I gave her an A as well. I think she's pretty strong. I would probably want to have four of her in my deck. I know when we've played together, you've really annoyed me with her several times. So I think she's just really good for all of the reasons that you've already covered. You get that two for one. So, all right, moving on Tinkerbell Giant Fairy. Why don't you tell us about this one?
0: This is a very strong one. It is a six-cost inkable character. It is a four-five that quests for two, and it has shift four. And then beyond the shift, it has two more abilities. The first one is rock the boat. When you play this character, deal one damage to each opposing character. And then it has puny pirate during your turn whenever this character banishes an opposing character you may deal two damage to chosen opposing characters so this is really powerful to shift on to the next tinkerbell which is the next card we're going to talk about and then you just get to make a really favorable trade while dealing one damage to all of your opposing characters so it's good against maybe probably the stitch rock star type of decks and then you get to challenge a character Banish it and then you can deal two damage to another character. So you can take out a lot of your opponent's board when you shift onto this and even just playing these in multiples where you play this on turn six and then you play another one on the next turn, that one damage really adds up. It disincentivizes your opponent from questing because you'll probably be able to challenge into it and banish that character. and then you can deal two damage to another character. It's it's just a really strong card. This is the reason why you want to be steel. To me, I it's you know it it's a giant fairy for a reason. It really backs up. It, it really backs a bunch.
1: For sure, I have S always S. Um, mm-hmm. there's a reason why I feel like they chose this one to also be one of the enchanted ones. I think it's just a really cool card. Even her alt art is really cool. I. I like her for so many reasons. I know that you have played her against me as well. I I think you're crazy if you play steel and don't play her. So I anticipate always seeing her against a steel deck. She works really well with cards that also return characters to a player's hand. So she works really well with Mother Knows Best or even the Corella because every time she's reintroduced, she deals damage. And so... And, and it's to each opposing character, not just one, but all of them. And so it is really annoying to deal with. And your only option is to get her off the board completely and into the discard, not even bringing her back to the hand at like disrupt tempo. Like you could get away with doing some with many of the other cards. So always S, <laughs> always put her in steel.
0: Yeah. And one of the best things you can do with this card is just play it on turn four and then seeing it grab your sword that same turn that is a combination that deals three damage to all your opponent's characters pretty early in the game that's probably going to wipe their board and you're just going to be very far ahead so this is a really really strong card Mm -hmm. why don't you tell us about the uh, tiny tactician
1: so tiny tink just got done with big tink now tiny tink this is our last character of steel tinkerbell tiny tactician is a inkable three drop a two four quests four one but then also has the ability battle plans. So you tap her and then draw a card and choose and discard a card. So I think if you are using her ability, really beneficial, but even if you let her just kind of sit there if there might be other threats on the other side and you don't want to lose her. She's okay to just wait for Big Tink because you I know you're going to have one in your deck if you have her so I just think she's an overall pretty solid B. What do you think?
0: I also gave her a B. I think uh, well in magic we call that ability to draw a card and discard a card the looting ability and looting is incredibly strong when you're trying to find a specific card in this case it might be trying to find big tink to shift on the little tink maybe it's trying to find grab your sword to deal a lot of damage to your opponent's things and just having that utility to trade a card that is not very good in your hand for a better card once a turn is really powerful she has fine stats she quests for one she's inkable so you're gonna play her Well, mostly because you have Giant Fairy in your deck, but you could even play her in decks, you know, just a random deck besides that if Giant Fairy was a card, I think. It's a pretty versatile character.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so moving on to our actions and items, we have a whole new world. It is a five drop uninkable, but each player discards their hand and draws seven cards. Now I know that there's a lot of split opinion on this card. I feel like some people argue it is bad because you have to do it too, but it also is argued to be really good because it disrupts your opponent and potentially what they had in their hand and trying to build up to you might have completely taken out what they've been holding on, just waiting to play, and now they have to start all over. Um, How would you grade this one?
0: I think this card is very, very good. I think it's an A, and it's mainly really good, I think, because... If you have it in your deck, you are building around it. So Mm -hmm. you could have a lot of cheap characters in your deck. Maybe you play a bunch of one and two drops over the first four turns of the game. And then on turn five, when you don't have a lot of cards in your hand, maybe you have two cards in your hand. You can play a whole new world, discard your hand and draw seven cards. Right. So that's really powerful, especially if your opponent has maybe played one card a turn and they have five or six cards in their hand, this is really going to be something that benefits you. I think... I've heard from a lot of sources, I feel like, that this is a card that can disrupt your opponent's game plan, and I kind of want to talk about that for a little second, because you have no idea if this is going to make them discard the cards in their hand, and that maybe those cards were, you know, integral to how the game was going to play out over the next few turns, but it's also just as likely that you make them draw into those cards as well, so... that's
1: true.
0: So. I don't really consider my opponent's game plan very often when I look at this card. I'm just trying to build around it to maximize it for myself. And if you can do that, then I think it's going to be probably the best card in your deck because this is the only card that really has this kind of effect in the game. And I'm really excited to play with it.
1: Yeah, I also gave it an A, but kind of for different reasons. That you gave kind of the opposite, I guess, but I can see it wanting to play it to do both, benefiting yourself and disrupting the others. I think for you, a, a lot of people might not want to play it to disrupt themselves, I guess. But think about it; you're not gonna, you get to play it on your own accord, so it's not like you're forced to play it as soon as you draw it. Um, yeah,
0: you're building your deck with this card in mind. If right. You're playing it,
1: and it's so it, it's similar to 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 be prepared, obviously. Yeah, you're banishing your characters with Be Prepared, but you're going to choose the right moment in time to play it. Same thing with A Whole New World. You're going to choose the right time to play it, so then you benefit from it. I think... I actually kind of disagree with you. I think it also could disrupt your other opponent. I see where you're coming from. I guess I was just kind of stuck in that way of kind of throwing them off. So that's why I feel like I'm kind of sticking to that opinion. But you do make good points. I mean, they can draw into the cards that you're, you're thinking about. I think maybe if you pay attention to them not inking cards or them holding on to those cards and not playing them, there's a reason why. So. I don't know I, I I can see it go both ways.
0: Yeah I think you're it's just as likely that they have the bad cards in their hand as they do the good cards and there's no way to know for sure maybe they're not inking cards because they don't have any inkables in their hand you know or yeah there there's just no way of knowing what your opponent's plan is. So I don't think that's a whole lot you should consider unless they're stuck on two ink and you know that they can't ink any cards in their hand. Then you're not going to play this because you don't want them to drill into cards they can ink. But right. you know, outside of very niche scenarios, I think it's just best to play with this card in mind as far as enabling your game plan.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So moving on to another action that is Break. This is a two-drop inkable where you banish chosen item. I made this a D. I think right now, it, it might be better later, but right now there aren't a bunch of items that are good enough for people to have item decks that you would want to have this in yours as a way to kind of combat that maybe in the future. I know Sapphire has the potential to be and is kind of going in the direction that it's probably going to be an item centric deck. But I just don't think it's playable in this meta.
0: Yeah. And even Sapphire, like most lose items aren't even good enough that you would want to spend your turn mana and a card to banish it anyway. So I can see where you're coming from. Again, this is another card that if we had a uh, sideboard that you might consider putting it into your sideboard just as a cheap way to dealing with your opponent's really impactful item, but I gave this one a C. Like, it's inkable at least, so there's low opportunity cost, but right now it's just not going to be a very impactful card. Mm-hmm. So next card we have is Fire the Cannons. It is a one cost uninkable. On It's an action, just deal two damage to chosen character. This one is, to me, an A. I think it's going to go in most steel decks just as a way to interact with your opponent's stuff early. It's it's really good to be able to interact with your opponent's stuff cheaply before they can quest or challenge. And this is a, a really good card that does that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I also gave it an A. I think it is super cheap for dealing the two damage and... Like you said, it's a way to deal with them early. You could deal damage to a character that they first play and is still drying. So they they ha- can't even play it yet. And I know that you've done this to me and it's super annoying where I, I play a character and as I wait for it to dry, you hit me with this the next turn. I don't even get to play the one that I just played. So it's really annoying. And I think if you do play hook as well, that brings this out of your discard and back into your hand, That that synergy that creates the cycle between the two, it's just going to be never ending and pretty annoying.
0: Yeah, it, it can be pretty strong, especially in the early to mid game before your opponents are playing the expensive cards that have a lot of willpower.
1: Mm-hmm next one dana yep so grab your sword this is a song that deals two damage to each opposing character so this is a five drop uninkable and works similarly to fire the cannons however you could sing it for free and it does it to all of the opposing characters so it's stronger it's worth its cost in my opinion And with that, I gave it an A.
0: I gave it an S. I don't think that if you're still, you're going to leave home without it for the time being. The fact that you can play it for free with a five cost character can provide a huge tempo swing and it's really strong and it can be devastating to a lot of different archetypes.
1: Mm hmm. So next one, we have ransack it is an action that is a two drop inkable draw two cards, then choose and discard two cards. Where do you have this one?
0: I gave this one a C. I think there are some specific decks where trying to find maybe your best card, like let's say you were in a Sapphire Steel deck with Maurice and you had a bunch of items and you really need to find Maurice. This is a pretty good way of doing it. It just puts you at a card disadvantage because you're playing this, you're discarding two cards, so you're down three and you only draw two. So you actually lose a card in the exchange, but it's really good at finding the most important card in your deck you just cannot play too many of them.
1: I gave him a like B, C. So I was leaning more towards a C because I was thinking, all right, this type of ability you can get from other characters within the set. And then they also could quest and have their stats. But I can see why I could also lean towards a B because you could argue it's two, whereas the actual characters that have this ability just do one. So I can see his worth. And that's why I was in that, BC range.
0: Yeah, the more combo centric decks that there are in the format, I think the better this card is to find those integral pieces.
1: Mm -hmm, For sure.
0: Okay, the next card is a decent one. It is Smash. It is a three-cost inkable card. It just says simply deal three damage to chosen character. I gave this one an A. It is not efficient compared to Fire the Cannons, which is one mana, but you can ink it if you need to. So that versatility means it's, it's pretty good in my opinion. Yeah, like I said, I gave it an A.
1: I gave it a B just for the fact that, like you said, it's not as efficient. I think in order for me to have given it an A, it probably would have been in like a two drop instead just because Fire the Cannons does two for one, whereas you have to pay three to do three. So I just feel Mm -hmm. like that cost is not worth it for me to give it an A. I think it's a solid B for sure. But I don't know if I would go as far to put it as an A. However, I could see it because there are a lot of characters that might be bigger than like two twos, for example. So this could get rid of a wider range of characters you are seeing. I could see it.
0: Yeah, this gets rid of the pongos and uh, the four mana Tinker Bells, for instance, but it's just not the most efficient card.
1: Yeah. Okay. So next we have an item that is Beast Mirror. This is a two drop inkable, and it has the ability Show Me. So you exert this item, pay three mana, and if you have no cards in your hand, draw a card. I gave this a D. I think it is so... straight caca. Apparently. Yeah. It is. So niche, I could see you pretty much never being in a situation where you could use this. And the fact that you have to exert it and then pay three ink. I don't know. I just feel like it should have just the type of card that this is and how very rarely you're going to use it. They should have just had have you exert it for free in order for it to I don't know. It still wouldn't be good, to be honest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I give this one a B. Oh, yeah. I don't think this card's that bad. For one, it is inkable, so in the early game, just put it down your ink and no harm, no foul, and it is really easy to run out of cards in this color particularly if you aren't uh, a whole new world strategy so in those scenarios you get to the point where you can just play this late game and then you're just drawing an extra card a turn for three mana and that's pretty good now you can't play a ton of them because it's you know kind of situational it's not good against every deck but you could play two of them in your deck it's kind of like magic mirror where in the control matchups this card is going to be strong it will provide some inevitability over time but you are right in that it does not do a lot early but I I could be wrong on this one too and that's totally okay I do think it's uh better than what you're giving it credit for though
1: Hmm. I see you. I know that you said that it would be useful in times in which you wouldn't play a whole new world. But I think because we both think a whole new world is really good, chances are you're probably going to have that in your deck. So I think it reduces the type of deck that you're thinking this could be useful in.
0: Yeah, and that's why I have it as a B. I don't think it's an insanely good card or anything like that. But... I could see you playing two copies of this just because for one, it is inkable. You don't always draw a whole new world in time. So it could be like a, a bad fifth or sixth copy, which makes it a, a maybe it, Maybe it's a C. Maybe it's a C. Okay. But I don't think it's
1: a D. Okay. Okay. Um, so moving on, we have frying pan, this is a inkable two drop, it has the ability clang, banish this item, chosen character can't challenge during their next turn.
0: Speaking of these, this is how I feel about this card.
1: <laughs> I have this as a C. Well,
0: so <laughs> I guess there's not much difference there. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, think, I think it could at least be good in certain situations. Not something you might want to have four of, but it wouldn't be bad to splash in your deck. So I do see it being more useful than making it a D and not having it at all.
0: Yeah, I think you really need some item payoffs for this one to be worth it. Just playing it as a one-time use to where your opponent can't quest with a certain character, once just doesn't really do it for me there there has to be a little bit more of a reason in your whole deck building process i think to play it Mm
1: -hmm. it would almost be like you would have to build it into a deck where you have characters that can let you go back into your discard and pull an item out yeah so it could be used if you have that kind of character in your deck but absolutely Okay. Moving on, we have Musketeer Tabard. It is a uninkable four drop and has the all for one, one for all ability. Whenever one of your characters with bodyguard is banished, you may draw a card.
0: All right. I have this one as a B. I think it is a fairly strong build around. It's Not with the best build arounds that we've seen, I don't think, but they do stack pretty well. So if you have two in play, they both trigger off one of your bodyguard characters getting banished, and it is likely that your bodyguard characters get banished because they have bodyguard, right? Right. So I just... The one issue I don't know... I don't know how good or how many quality bodyguard characters there are. I haven't really tried to make a bodyguard deck that mm-hmm. could work. But as, you know, as more bodyguard characters come out, this is going to get better. So I think the the power level's there for this one.
1: Mm-hmm. I have it as a, like a BC. I like the fact that it, it's not like frying pan, right? Where you have to banish it in order to use it. It can just stay there and occur every time. So to me, that makes it a B. However, because there aren't very many colors that have bodyguard at this point, you would be pretty limited to the color combo deck that you're playing. So that kind of makes me bump it down to a C for now.
0: Yeah, it's a very limiting factor for this card that you can only play it in in amber steel deck. So I can, I can definitely see that. hmm.
1: All right. So lastly, we have Plasma Blaster. This is a uninkable three drop and has the ability quick shot. So you exert this, pay two ink and deal one damage to chosen character. I have this as a C. What do you have it as?
0: I have this as a D. And let me tell you, there is nothing quick about this card. It is not really cheap for what it does its ability you know you can only activate its ability on turn 4 uh the earliest which is not cheap and by then you're just doing one damage and how many characters is that actually going to really affect on turn 4 when you're spending two mana to do that i have it as a d it's not inkable it's slow i don't see any case in which you're going to play this
1: i probably did give it a little bit too high of a grade with giving it C. I guess in my mind I was just thinking, especially because it's in this deck where Big Tink comes out and deals damage and then this could come in and deal another damage and maybe finish off a character or something of that. So I, I felt like I could see its application, but in all reality, you're right. I think the payoff of it is not very good just because you have to wait and also pay two ink as well. So I, yeah, I, you know what? I'll jump down to D.
0: Yeah, you're so good at dealing one and two damage to characters, and this is just so slow at doing it. I don't think you're ever gonna play this card. At least, at least not in the the current format. All right. So that being said, how did you feel about the set review, Dana?
1: I felt like it was good. I know for me personally, I felt like doing it really educated me on all that was out there. I think it's a great way to get a feel for the potential cards you could upgrade your starter decks with, which is what we'll be doing next. So we will be in the next few episodes reviewing each starter deck individually and then also giving our suggestions for upgrades. So I feel like this was a great exercise, at least for me, to be able to evaluate which cards I thought were good and bad. And then when we get into our upgrades, it would be easier for me to determine what to cut, what to add. So
0: Absolutely. What do you think is the strongest color so far?
1: I might be biased, but I really like Ruby.
0: <laughs> I think Ruby is really strong too. Its top end is really powerful. So if you can combine it with a at least a competent early to mid game, uh, you, you probably have a really good deck on your hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think is the weakest color so far?
1: I think... The weakest color might be Sapphire. We can tell it is going to eventually be considered an item based color, but right now it's not good with the cards that exist for it. It probably will get to the point where it'll be powerful, but going off of what it is right now, I don't really see myself wanting to utilize that with any of the other colors.
0: Yeah, I agree. Sapphire seems the weakest to me. You have these ink ramp cards, but not enough cards that pay you off for wanting to to do that. So I'm in a grands with you there. Okay, so that wraps up our set review. Over the next couple episodes, we're going to be doing starter deck reviews and upgrades on those starter decks that are budget friendly because we know it's not the easiest to get access to all the cards right now. And I think learning to just do those slight upgrades Mm -hmm. initially is a really important tool to be able to, to use. So we'll be doing that. So you could find us on Twitter and Instagram as Inkwell Gamers. You can find us creating even more content on Twitch and YouTube, streaming Pixelborn, making videos for Pixelborn, or even just playing some tabletop paper games that we'll record for you. We'll post those on YouTube as well. We're also at Inkwell Gamers on those two platforms. For my lovely wife, Dana, I am Dalton, and we are the Ink Bowl Gamers, and I hope you have a wonderful day.
1: <laughs> Bye, guys.